Hey, everybody. So the plan was to do a show with my beautiful, clean, fresh new avatar that I made. But five minutes before the show, uh, she kind of exploded in my hands. So this uh, second episode of the podcast is going to be audio only. If you're watching the video, I have decided to put a uh, just sort of a video of me doodling the whole time and you get to watch it. So it's going to be fun for everybody involved. And uh, let's get on with it. Let's do the thing, the magical thing, and talk to Riley Cyrus. State your name for the record. I'm Riley Cyrus. Awesome. What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, They, them. Awesome. Have you prepared a haiku for us? I do have a haiku, actually. Would you like me to read it? Please. All right. Bites dance in shadows. Whispers echo in circuits. Dreams we manifest. I love that one. It is so pretty. I actually uh, used uh, ChatGPT to help me. So uh, disclaimer to everybody out there. It was <laughs> AI, half, half AI generated. Everything's half AI generated these days. Nobody, uh, nobody admits it, but it all is. We all know this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. I thought it'd be appropriate. Right on. <laughs> so, uh, as you know, uh, this is a show that is in part in process about Dadaism. And uh, what I would like you to do, if you would honor us with uh, your imagination for a moment, is to create a new word on the spot and tell me what it means. Mm, that's a great, great little exercise. Um, I'm going to say spankle. Love it. it. And that is the feeling of excitement when you discover something new. Like, you really feel spankled in that moment when something new and exciting. That, that is so cool. Um, <laughs> okay, so silly question. It's a random one. Uh, if you were uh, in a burning building and there were only two people in your phone that you, you could call, um, one is Mickey Mouse and... Of course, the other is Mighty Mouse. Uh, who do you pick? Um, I'm going to say Mighty Mouse because obviously then I might get out of the burning building. I don't <laughs> I don't really I'm not a big fan of Mickey Mouse, actually. Uh, I'm a kind of a Mickey Mouse hater. So, Same. yeah, not going to call Mickey on that day, I think. But it's interesting that I would have Mickey in my phone. Uh, <laughs> oh, apparently, you're very close. Uh, yeah, but I, I even though I hate I hate him, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, definitely going Mighty Mouse all day, every day, for sure. Excellent. All right, now we are going to cue the theme song. She's got pink pigtails and neon green dress. Focus down, but you just can't impress. Hello, my children. Welcome to the Cult of Apathy. I am Lynn Cole, but you may refer to me only 
as the High Priestess of Dada. And welcome to the show. Today we have Riley Cyrus, who is just this incredibly uh, brilliant and insightful artist who has uh, so much to share with us. And I'm hoping that uh, they're going to share some of their uh, massive and incredible insight today on the show. So it's going to be a good one. Riley, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Excited. Right on. So um, what is your origin story and how did your journey in art lead you here? So that's a really great question because I think the journey is kind of part of the whole story, right? When it comes to art and, and artists, I don't think you can, I'm one of those people that you can't divorce the the artist from, from the art. I think there's always something in there. So I love that question. Um, it's a semi-long answer, so bear with me, but I, I've been into art my whole life. Um, I When I was really young, I, I thought I wanted to be like a, a comic book artist or something like that. Of course, you know, those sort of naive ideas you have when you're a, a child. I, I think um, we've all been there. I, I, did yeah. <laughs> I, I did it too. Exactly the same story. <laughs> right, right. And so, you know, I had these these books like, you know, how to draw comic book characters and stuff like that. So uh never it never ignited the spark in me though it's just like there was always something missing from that and so then i got into computers pretty heavily when i was around 9 years old i want to say um which would have been in the mid 90s uh, revealing my age here but uh it was an early time for computers it was a really exciting time i think to be getting into computing you're you're the same age i am though so that would make you about 27 uh yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> around that that's how i feel and i'm gonna i always do tell people that i'm in my uh, late 20s so yeah we'll just Excellent. go with that hey, yeah. Uh, so yeah um you know getting into computers at that young age though is it was a great time and i i started with qbasic uh programming back in the day and one of my my first programs was just making a circle bounce around the screen and i just thought that was the coolest thing ever you know it's like animation but it was with all these weird mathematical equations and stuff. And I'm just like, this is so cool. But I never thought of it as like engineering. It was always art for me, which is kind of a mistake later in my life when I thought I wanted to get into computer science heavily. Cause it was like, this is not art at all. It's very <laughs> engineering heavy, which is, which is cool too, but it's just not, not what I was expecting. Um, but I went down that path, uh, doing mixing art and and computers, and and how can you write code to generate images in ways that are unique and interesting, and that eventually led me down a path to to glitch art. Uh, I'll preface this by saying I was living in Japan at the time. I lived in Japan for fifteen years of my life since I was nineteen. I'm back in the states now, but um, quite a long time in Japan. And that influenced a lot of my my art as well. But yeah, glitch art was uh, was what I got into in the early 2010s, um, skipping a lot of my middle part of my life. But um, just the, you know, I was just doing art for fun, right? It was never anything serious. But got a little more serious in the early 2010s with glitch art, and that really kind of started when I started calling myself an artist. I guess that's when I first realized, like, oh, I'm actually am an artist. I didn't really know what that meant uh, until then. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And I still consider myself kind of a glitch artist today. That's awesome. Yeah, I really love your art. It is so much fun to watch. I, I think you're, you're one of, I, I don't want to say that there, are, there aren't very many of us that do it, but there aren't very many of us that like 
are actively out there and making art by intentionally distorting and skewing the AI. I mean, there's, I, I can think of five people that are doing it in that particular way. I'm one of them and uh, you are another and it is an, an honor. What is it about glitch art that, that really appeals to you as an artist? That's a great question too. So yeah, glitch art really resonates with me. Um, I mean, you know, in the most cliche way, I, I, my existence itself feels like a glitch, right? So it's like a really cliche thing to say, but I think it's something a lot of people probably feel. But glitch art, like taking something that's kind of mundane too, and then and breaking it in a way that makes it beautiful is, yeah. is an amazing process to me. Um, and I, I just, I, it excites me every time, not knowing what you're going to get, but knowing that something beautiful is going to come out is always an exciting process. It's oh, a yeah. process. It's a big thing for me. Yeah. It, it really is. I, I do the same thing. I start without a plan, you know, we just, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I will like same. go in and like just sort of drag references down and, you know, layer them in different ways and composite them and add them and remove them and then sort of run them through the machine to get something either very similar or very different out, you know? So I've watched your some of your process videos, and it's really interesting because I I have kind of a similar process as well. It's like I think you've maybe mentioned it before, but the extracting of artifacts and the things that you can't see within an image is really interesting to me. It's one of the, my, the techniques that I did way back when I was first starting was just bumping the saturation in Photoshop all the way to the max and seeing all these like weird artifacts that would come out of a JPEG that weren't there originally. You couldn't see them, but Stuff like that is really fascinating to me, that there's this like invisible layer of data that's in there that you can't see. But It's like the art behind the art, in a way. Yeah, and that's, that's a big theme like in, in a lot of my work. And a lot of my stuff is sort of concept art in that way, that I, I try to take invisible things and, and make them visible. And I think that's sort of, in my opinion, I mean, art can be any number of things, as, as you know, Dada and everything says. It's like... You know, art is not a certain definition, so I'm not saying that this is how it is. But for me, this is how I see art, is that it's taking things that people can't normally see and, and bringing that into the spotlight for, for at least a brief moment and letting people see it. And I think that's sort of the purpose of art for me. Um, so, yeah, it's a big, big part of my work. So the way you see art, and I, th I think you probably agree with me on this, but um, do you see art as... A job description or as sort of an innate quality like your eye color or gender yeah i think it's innate an innate quality for sure it's not it's not a job description i don't think I, I think everyone has the capacity to understand and create art um it's just everybody's different right so everybody has a different way of expressing it if that makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah no it totally does when we made it really easy to uh, to generate code, you know, for like websites and stuff, uh, programmers freaked out until they realized that like not everybody wants to be that kind of creative. If that makes sense, artists just sort of assume that making art is is beautiful and empowering. We find it meaningful, right? And we just kind of instinctively take our love of it and sort of push it off everywhere, right? And yeah. I think, and I think that's kind of a natural thing to do as an artist, because you just assume that, you know, if anybody, if everybody can make art, that like, 
you know, everybody would make art because art is this beautiful thing that you have a lifelong relationship with for you. Uh, but yeah. I, d I don't think it works that way. Um, I mean, I, I want to see universal suffrage as far as, you know, radical accessibility and tools. I want to see everybody have the capability to make art. But the cynical old uh, computer programmer in me says, yeah, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> what do you think? Well, yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I, I think going back to, to my time in Japan and how that shaped me as an artist, I, one a big part of Japanese society is, is that, like, there's art in, in everything, in even the mundane. I mean, that's kind of the Zen philosophy. Um, and, and I really can see it. And I think what you mean, well, the way I interpret what you mean is that we do art in, in these ways that's maybe visual or musical or whatever it may be. Uh, but I, I'd like to broaden the definition of art. You know, I think just doing a job well, it, no matter what it is, it, it can be art. Um, you know, just doing anything uh, can be art, right? So, I mean, I don't think you have to limit it to just artists who create certain things for the consumption of others. But, you know, anything, anything can be art. And I think the Japanese really express that a lot. They they do it in, in the everyday, just, you know, gardening and working your job can be can be an art, right? And I think that's something really interesting and res respectful. Um, so, yeah, I think it's an interesting way to look at art. There's a lot to be just absolutely fascinated by in in Japanese culture in particular. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing place. Uh, I never planned on moving back to the states. Actually, I wanted to stay there forever, but uh, it's kind of funny because you know I say all this, and then actually one of the one of the reasons why I moved back is because it was a little bit stifling as a, as a creative artist. Um, that that society is a little bit difficult to be a, an artist in it's a difficult to be an outsider in general but that's uh that's sort of the negative side but it's it's an amazing place i, I love it and i'm i'm planning a trip next year i can't wait to, to get back there so when you first started working with uh with ais and you know just sort of being a technically minded artist uh in general did you ever expect uh your decision of tools to be controversial uh yeah, I did because I think even with with my glitch art and and the things that I was doing already there was pushback uh and I know how people can be and and I understand actually like I am empathetic for these the no I no AI crowd just because I kind of get why they're so scared. Uh, a lot of them a lot of them make money in in the in the industry and so they feel threatened, and I, and I get that, and it's, it's not something I wish on anyone that their livelihood be taken away. But at the same time, you know, you you have to understand that progress is happening, and you can't stop it. And so, like, I don't do art. I have the privilege of I don't do art for a living, so it's a little bit easier for me to just say fuck it. You know, I'm going to use AI and everything, but. You know, I, I get I get a little bit of why people people are think it's controversial for sure. I, I think I saw this one post on uh, Twitter a couple of days ago, and it was this guy who was lamenting about the importance of technical skill. His concern was that it is that that AI is a better technical expert on the general topic of art uh, than he thought right. he could ever be. And the question was, you know, how do I compete with a machine? And I, I think really the 
and, and maybe this is just my perspective as an artist because, you know, I, I see things so differently. And, I, and as you know, I have a very different ethical standard than um, the larger art community <laughs> and always have. Sure, um, same. <laughs> but um, my, my feeling is that that's totally the wrong way to look at it. You know, I, I look at AI and I'm like, and I think, wow, you know, I can do a piece that would take me two days to do in two hours now and still yeah. charge, you know, commission, you know, people the, the same amount of money. Um, that, that sounds really good to me as somebody who works as a freelance artist. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, sure. I'm not, I'm it's not make, understanding. It's making you more efficient, right? It's making it's, you more efficient. So. Right. It, it means I can do more work faster without changing my, my rates, which, which usually run between, you know, 85 and $185 an hour, depending on what I'm doing. It's, it's skilled labor. That's, you know, what it is. Yeah. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think, I think that's the, the healthy way to look at AI generally. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I'm an engineer at, at my, my main gig and it's like, yeah, we're, a little all a little nervous because ai is moving really rapidly now but you know at the same time we're more efficient like we have more time to do more things i mm -hmm. like i love writing code more now than i've ever loved it and i've always loved it and it just yeah. makes me want to write more code because now i can write a thousand lines in the time that I, I could only write you know 10 maybe before you know it's crazy so why wouldn't you embrace it it's i don't know it blows my mind well, when it's it's really interesting though uh, when it comes to writing code with AI because you could like as long as you understand uh, the fundamentals and the basics of how computer programming works, you know, as long as you're as you understand the class of language you're working in, you don't actually have to know the language you're working no, in yeah. to be to to write functional workable code. You know, you put it into the you see you tell the system you know. Uh, you you pedantically explain what you want to do because um, AIs are dumb and language <laughs> doesn't work right. But you know, once once you do that, um, you know, you just put it in, you run it, and you go through a couple of iterations, and then you do it, and it's it's almost it's kind of like it's almost like pair programming with a, oh, yeah, but yeah. but with a computer, you know. And it's it's fun because like. Programming is, up until recently, I think, has always been sort of a, a solitary activity, you know? You know, yeah. you're there, you're by yourself, you're in your own head. But when you add the AI to the element, you know, there's a social element there that didn't exist before. Like, you could tell the AI jokes in the middle of writing code, and the AI will, like, respond appropriately, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like that's just really, it's so much healthier. Yeah, I totally agree. Like I said, that's I think that's part of it. Why it's more fun for me now because it isn't just me alone in my room with code, which you know can be fun and meditative sometimes. But yeah, having the AI there is is a really interesting experience, and I think it's something. I think people forget. You know, people are soon to forget history, and or maybe they're not even old enough to remember, but. You know, people were the there were doomers about IntelliSense when it first you know and compilers started to pop up function completion for you and you didn't have to memorize the function definitions or the you know all of the parameters for everything anymore and you're gonna be a bad programmer and like that never happened right we still have intellisense so I, I think people forget that technology is always progressing and it's always making lives easier and it's not killing us all yet i guess so i think we're probably fine i, I think the trajectory for technology is you know one that 
if you look at the long arm of history, you know, the the printing press, photographic reproduction, then you had, you know, digital art and then you had 3D and you had and now we have AI and it's it's been the same backlash every time. Every yeah. time. The world yeah. is ending, art is dead. I mean, how many crises of paintings have you and I lived through? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is what the third one that we have been alive for. Um, yeah, at least. Yeah, at least. <laughs> it's the biggest. I feel like we need somebody like Walter Benjamin for our times. I really do. I it's, I wonder. It's so hard these days. I mean, I guess there we have our pop stars and our, our celebrities that still exist, but I don't know. Everything seems so fragmented with the internet. I mean, like you were saying, like how many of us are doing what we're doing? I don't know. Maybe five or six. Maybe there's more. I don't know. How do you find them? Right. Uh, used to be i feel like i do i do favor some parts of the the olden days as it were if i wish there were more places where artists gathered i guess they still exist but i don't know um you know the internet's cool for that but i feel like it's hard to make for me anyway it's always hard to make meaningful relationships i have a few here and there but it seemed easier when you were uh kind of just in a scene i think that's another kind of interesting thing is the 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 lack of uh, geographical scenes these days anymore. There's no like New York art scene. I mean, I guess there kind of is, but everything blends together these days because the internet is sort of a interesting uh, trend, I believe. So one thing I think is actually really interesting uh, that you did was uh, you are one of maybe six people I know uh, that has written your own art manifesto. So I have the honor of, uh, asking you to summarize it. What's your manifesto about? So that was quite a while ago now. Um, It's mostly just about a lot of the same stuff that we're talking about right now with AI. I feel like I was a little bit ahead of the curve, but like I was saying, my glitch art was getting a lot of the same backlash of like, this isn't art or you're just stealing other people's content and using it to create something that people like because the original content was good. That's the only reason why people like it. That kind of stuff. Um, so it was just about breaking that down. And, you know, with technology, uh, I think there's more freedom, right? And it is all about just freedom of expression and freedom from any type of backlash like that. I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't have that in the art world. It shouldn't exist. Like, criticism is one thing, but there's these... I don't know, these people that want to stop certain types of art from being created. And I just think that's wrong. So my manifesto, I think, in summary, was just like trying to break down that barrier and just say that that was not going to be acceptable. And I wanted to create this sort of new type of aesthetic and and collective that sort of got off the ground a little bit, but then floundered in late 2010s. But yeah, so that was kind of what it was about. You know, it's it's become like one of my favorite things to say over the last couple of weeks. You know, my uh, I, I feel like people have about as much right to judge the validity of art on social media as they do to judge you. You know, what you ate for dinner based on what's in your toilet. You know, yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. And I and I think that you know, whenever you open up the is this valid? Is this a valid? Can you know? kind of art can of worms you know you end up in this place where you put yourself in a really precarious position at least in terms of art history 
Uh, because yeah, yeah. because people who are repressive and people who support censorship and people who support book burning, um, because that's what it is. Let's just be one hundred percent honest. You know what they with what we are what is being talked about uh, in the anti AI camp uh, is no different than you know book burners, uh, and it even uses some of the same you know historic fashion fascist language, uh, which yeah. I find. Other than being really interesting, it's also kind of scary. It's definitely really scary to me. One one of the things that I've noticed recently, uh, I'm a big fan of Star Trek, uh, particularly Star Trek: The Next Generation, and that's like for me the the ideal society, right? So that's like the basis of my whole sort of political philosophy is Star Trek: The Next Generation. But anyway, I'm I'm in this Facebook group of like Star Trek memes just for fun, and it's really concerning to me that. Almost everyone in this group is staunchly anti-AI, and anytime somebody posts something that was made with AI, it just turns into this dumpster fire of a debate. And it's like, these are people who are into Star Trek, right? That's like one of the most progressive television shows of all time, historically. You know, it's anti-fascist in every way, and, Mm -hmm. and you have these people turning into fascists who are what I would think are the least susceptible to such things, but they're going down that path. And I'm like, is this good? I don't know. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) scary. Well, the other thing that's funny about, uh, no AI Star Trek people, and there's no self-awareness there because like literally all of the technology in Star Trek is AI driven. Every single piece of crazy thing about it. Right. That's (laughs) what concerns me even more because yeah, the entire premise of that show is like, I mean, there's data in the Star Trek next generation where he like paints paintings. Right. And it's like, that's literally AI art, you know? So yeah, I don't know. It's a little, a little scary, scary times in general, but it wasn't just data. I mean, like uh, Cisco was also an artist. Right. And, and they, they talked about, I, I, I'm having trouble finding the episode. I think it was Deep Space Nine, you know, and they said, uh, somebody walks in on Cisco and they said, what are you doing? And he says, I'm painting. And they say, well, why can't you just get a computer to do that? And Cisco, you know, goes on about like the craft and, and the joy of doing right. it by hand. And I felt like that was just like this, this perfect encapsulation of sort of the, the decadence and the, the cadence of this argument. And Gene Roddenberry saw that. You know, well, well, maybe that was after he died, but I, I think Gene Roddenberry totally understood the concept and we yeah. was str- was sort of struggling to sort of think through some of these issues in the sixties, even. And I mean, that's that's revolutionary. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And then, like we were saying, like people people are quick to forget that you know, uh, photography had the same issue, right? When photography was a, a thing, like oh, painting is is over, but. Uh, you know, painting's still here. People still paint with oil paints, you know, it's fine. Um, that's never going to go anywhere, so I don't think you have to worry. Well, and photography is just so easy. I mean, you're not actually doing anything. You're just pressing the button <laughs> and letting the machine do all the work, right? I mean, exactly, it's not, exactly. It's not actually creating anything. It's just, you know, pulling, you know, something that already exists out of the world, and how dare you? I mean, my yeah. God. You know, the way you move pixels around a screen is, like, seriously important, and it's enough for violence, so just remember that. Yeah, photographers <laughs> are all uh, hack frauds, uh, so <laughs> let it be known. <laughs> well, you see... All of my photographer friends who listen to this podcast, when I send it to them, they're going to be pissed at me for this <laughs> point. 
<laughs> well, the thing is, I don't actually feel that way. Um, no, uh, I, I disclaimer: I don't feel that way at all. But yeah, no, I, I think I, I think that you know anything you make to change the shape of the world, um, anything that comes from anywhere, no matter what tool you're using, is is valid and should be celebrated. I yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, totally. And the more chaotic, the better. Data is life. Exactly. So, how so, did you yeah. uh, discover and um, and rediscover uh, Dadaist philosophy? So, I I actually like I'm I'm very much an outsider when it comes to to art. I never really had any art education, so I didn't actually know what Dada was until I met my partner partner who he actually is a he went to art school and so he's like a little bit more of a trained artist than i am and so when he saw the stuff that i was doing he's like oh that's totally just dada and i was like oh cool what is that <laughs> so like he kind of got me into it actually and so that's that was my first sort of foray into dadaism and i was like oh this is exactly what i'm doing yeah this is awesome and so i've always just considered myself an extension of dada ever since then I feel like you and I are sort of kindred spirits. My, my story was, uh, I had this mentor named uh, Paul Pines in college, and uh, he was this uh, English professor who was very, very art-focused. And he took a look at like my songs that I was writing and my poetry at the time and the art that I was making, and he said, well, what are you trying to do here? And uh, I told him, well, what I'm trying to do is dissect form and take it apart, make fun of it. And he said, oh, so you're a Dadaist. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. I said, I have no idea what that is, but I love it. And I guess it's like Holstenbeck said, you know, um, you can always tell when a person is a Dadaist and when they're not, you know, just by looking at them. And yeah. uh, I think that really just sort of holds true, you know, universally, even now, a hundred years after, uh, after the first movement ended, you know? Yeah, it's something something innate to me. I, I can't change the way that I am for sure. I, anytime I try any kind of different art, I I always come back to just what I know how to make. So I think it's just something, certain type of person maybe, I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting that it's still, still around. I mean, like you say, it's been 100 years, but it's kind of more relevant now than ever, I think. Right. Um... Yeah, it's weird, you know, last century, you know, Dada sort of existed at this weird confluence. You know, there was a, a world war. Uh, we were still dealing with, you know, the fallout from photography, the first first round of fallout from photography. Uh, and, you know, we had a lot, a lot of, a lot of people trying to rethink what art is. And the problem when you rethink what, what art is, is that, you know, it takes something inclusive, which is, you know, art and when you rethink it, you're trying to make it smaller. I think a lot of the time, um, right? But I guess, I guess, you know, just sort of from a, a Dadaist perspective, and I think maybe we touched on it earlier. But do you have any any strong thoughts about real versus unreal art? I mean, is there is there any kind of art that you personally would consider not valid? Hmm. That's a good question. I I don't think that I'd consider any art not valid. There are certain types of art that I don't prefer personally, but 
that doesn't make it any less valid. I, I'm not the judge of that, I think. So, no, I don't think so. I, I think basically for me, anything that's created with the intention of being art is art. Um, the intention is important, but that's pretty much the only thing. I mean, I guess there can be unintentional art too, but it still has to be picked up by an intention somehow, I feel like, to turn into art at that point. Um, you know, one can argue that, you know, a tree is art or whatever, uh, you know, nature is art, and I agree with that too. But in terms of human creation, I, I think there needs to be intention behind it. That's pretty much my only definition or restriction. Even if the intention is no intention. Yeah, that's still an intention. <laughs> so it's cool. Exactly. Describe nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's great. This is so much fun. Yeah, I I definitely feel there's some kindred spirit going on. I which I got that feeling, which is why I wanted to come on the podcast for sure, because I just I feel like the stuff that you do is really similar to the stuff that I do and I thought we would have a nice conversation about it, so I thought it would be pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, this was so much fun, uh, but I think this is about the end of the show. We only run for about 40 minutes. Um, okay. So um, I guess I, my, my, uh, my statement here is uh, thank you for doing us the honor of visiting my humble little podcast about chaos and art and beauty. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, where can people find you online? So I'm primarily on Twitter, uh, or X, sorry, excuse me. Um, I'm 333blessed333 on Twitter, uh, and that's pretty much where I'm going to be probably for the foreseeable future. It's, I connect with a lot of people on there, and I think it's the cool place for AI and arts intersection, despite all the haters. So that's, that's where I'll be. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's worth it though, you know, because like there's so much just joy and passion and, and beauty and coming from our side that, uh, it's life affirming, you know? And yeah, there are people who see that and there are people who are scared of that. And I think those people don't go away. I think, I think those people have always existed. They've just become, much easier to find. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah!